Hey there, Edge of Friends. Welcome to the PL Playbook Podcast, a show about all things related to professional learning in education. I'm your host, Jackie Weinkoop, proud Pennsylvania educator, secondary instructional coach, and co-founder of Belfont Reads, a dedicated group of book lovers with a mission to put quality books in the hands of children and families. As you are all very well aware, I am an instructional coach. I absolutely love what I do and honestly can't imagine myself in another position. There's just nothing like getting the opportunity to support both teachers and kids on a daily basis. Early in my coaching career, I was fortunate enough to have an incredible network of support via the Pennsylvania Institute for Instructional Coaching. While that program has since dissolved, the founder and executive director is still on a mission to provide quality professional learning opportunities for instructional coaches. I am thrilled for you to hear from her today as she has a ton of knowledge about the impact instructional coaches can have on student learning. Okay, everyone. So I am so happy to have on a very special guest. Um, I would love to introduce to you Ellen Eisenberg. So Ellen, if you could take a few minutes and share a little bit with listeners about your background in education, that would be great. Hi, Jackie. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to participate. Um, it, it's fun to talk with like-minded practitioners about something that you love, something that's your passion. And that, of course, is education and instructional coaching. I started, I'm old, I started teaching in 1973, and I was in a large urban school district, and I stayed there until I was fortunate enough to be part of a a directive from the school district where I was, and they said, you need to be involved in some sort of reform movement for education. That led me to actually looking and working with Johns Hopkins University, which is where I got my training for instructional coaching. And that process, what I've learned in at Johns Hopkins University, that's what I've taken with me all these all these years. Um, I was the director of a of the program in several schools in a particular district and then was fortunate enough to be involved in something called TASCI, which is the high school coaching initiative. And that was an Annenberg initiative from way back. And then that morphed into the Pennsylvania Instructional Coaching, which was PIC, Institute for Instructional Coaching. And then we moved, even from that, we evolved into what we are now, which is TPIC, the Professional Institute for Instructional Coaching. And all of those experiences have helped shape my beliefs in why instructional coaching is such a viable support system for teachers. That's actually how we got to know each other. When I first started out as an instructional coach, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing or what the role really should be. But I was fortunate enough that in Pennsylvania, we had this PIC program where you could attend regular meetings within your intermediate unit collaborate with other coaches from around your area and surrounding districts and just learn and grow in best practices for coaching and that training was provided from you and from your consultants at pick and one of the other amazing things is that you know we only we didn't just only 
attend these monthly meetings at our intermediate unit. Unit. We also have the opportunity to go to a couple of different conferences throughout the year that were held locally, where we had we spent three days learning about best practices for instructional coaching and networking with instructional coaches from across the entire state. So those opportunities really, really shaped me as an instructional coach, gave me the foundation that I needed to be able to collaborate and inter interact with teachers effectively and to really move toward changing practices in a positive manner. Um, and so that's how Ellen and I got to know each other is, is through PIC. So um, while it's no longer PIC, it's no longer run by PDE, it's transitioned into TPIC which stands for the Professional Institute for Instructional Coaching. So, Alan, before we dig into just getting into coaching in general, can you share with listeners what TPIC is, what your organization offers, especially as it relates to professional learning and coaching for coaches and for administrators? Thank you, Jackie, because I would love to talk about TPIC, but I'll, I'll keep it a little bit short. Um, TPIC is an organization. We're a nonprofit. And we are designed in a way that provides structured support to teachers. And it means that it's coaching, if you will, from a, from a distance. So we make sure, or we try to, provide opportunities for coaches to get together and learn with each other. And so with, to that end, we actually offer, we have a TPIC membership. And when you become a member of TPIC, you automatically get what I call the best thing, which is our first Friday. So once a month, all of the coaches network with each other. And we talk about their current issues, the problems of practices, things that are of utmost importance, the here and now. And so we do that every month and that's complimentary with our membership fee. There are access to coaching resources, there's support in any development of any materials, the opportunity, as I said, to network. We have monthly virtual office hours where coaches can call in, who are members can call in. We do that twice a month. They can call in with a problem of practice or just, can you walk me through this? And we do that. And then of course, the what most organizations do, there is a discount for our courses. So we have two learning strands. We have one that's a, a foundational strand, which is starting your coaching journey your instructional coaching journey. And that really is building the infrastructure. So it's four foundational sessions around the ECIC model. And when I say ECIC, that is the Educator-Centered Instructional Coaching Model, which is TPIC. It is the non-evaluative, reflective, confidential, and collaborative process that really focuses on continuous improvement between and among instructional coaches, teachers, and other school leaders. And so what we found is helping that really is what moves practice forward. Then we have a second strand, and that's really for those who want to deepen their learning. So those who have been coaches before, then they want to either really rebuild what they've been doing, or maybe they're just not there yet and they want to move into it. And that's coaching, coaching to the max. And really is deepening learning. It's really magnifying and intensifying the instructional coaching process. So what does that mean? You find your coaching voice. Your, what are the components of effective coaching model that we have that we share and that we give them time to practice? And that's what our four 
coaching to the max series is. So it's those two strands that work on that. And of course, we do the one-on-one and any mentoring support or coaching support that districts might ask us to do. Yes. And and I know it's it's very similar to what the PIC model model was. You're just now right. able to support teachers from, you know, and leaders from across the United States and honestly from across the world, because mm-hmm. I know you were mentioning to me before we started recording that you are working with teachers in the Bahamas, teachers Bermuda. in Thailand. Yeah. Oh, Bermuda. In the Bermuda. Bermuda. We're working with someone in Thailand. We have, we've worked with people in South Africa, in Argentina. And so it just goes to show you how important instructional coaching is across the world. It's this global structure that we need to, because it doesn't matter where you live, you know that students are at the center and how do you help teachers get to the very issues that they struggle with every day? Yes. And, you know, I think that what your organization offers is really important because I, I've, you know, I know a lot of coaches from across the, across the United States, for sure, mostly in Pennsylvania. But oftentimes when coaching programs are started in districts, there maybe isn't always a lot of forethought, forethought and planning. Um, and so you're able to provide a structure and training for the team that allows that coaching initiative to be implemented the right way because you know as coaches you know you have to build that trust with teachers you have to build that foundation before you can really make any changes instructionally within the school that are really going to lead to student success so as someone who participated within your organization and received a lot of trainings as a new coach i found it incredibly helpful and i think one of the things that i love most about what I loved most about PIC and now TPIC is that you really are differentiated. You know, sometimes some of these other coaching organizations, they kind of just might be for, for the masses, but I love how TPIC, yes, you have your membership, but within that there's lots of different options. So you have your first Fridays, you have your virtual office hours and individual consulting, but you also offer just a lot of differentiation and tracks for, to meet the coaches and the school leaders where they are. So I just want to commend you on that because, you know, this podcast is all about professional learning and we know one of the best practices for professional learning is that it's differentiated and that should most certainly apply to coaches as well. So thank you for what TPIC offers. And I will definitely put in our show notes, a link to TPIC where if listeners are interested, they can find out more information about your organization and how they might join. So, um, Yeah, absolutely. So, Alan, you are a very, very seasoned educator, and not just because you're old. <laughs> and you said that, so I can say that too. Um, but very seasoned educator. You have a lot of experience, you know, obviously direct experience in coaching, both as a coach yourself, but then in training coaches. So, when I think about the topic of professional learning, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways that schools can implement positive professional learning experiences for educators. It's a lot of different pathways, but for me, and I'm not just saying this because I am a coach, for me, I think the most effective way is through instructional coaching. So if we think about instructional coaches through the lens of professional developers, okay, what do you think are some of the most important traits that an instructional coach should have to be effective in their role? 
That that's a great question, Jackie, and I'll and I'll tell you why it's so great. It's it becomes a blend on what a district thinks is important when they choose a coach and what is really important when it comes to moving practice. So I want to step back for a moment and think about, yes, there are great qualities that coaches should possess. And if you Google it, you find it all over the place. They should be a good listener. They should be trustworthy and know how to do that. They should be collaborative. They should do all of the things that we know those things are effective for for learning. But I think one of the most important things is to be that good listener. And, you know, I used to, you, I'm sure you've heard me say this a hundred times that God gave us two ears and one mouth. And there's a very good reason for that, to listen twice as much as what we say. And I think a lot of times we go in, we as coaches, we want to fix it. But instruction coaching is not a fix it model. It is not a deficit model. We're not working with only those, quote, marginal teachers or those teachers who are on an improvement plan. Yes, they may be some of the folks with whom we work. But in reality, instructional coaching is a personalized approach. So coaches have to understand what does a partnership look like? And many times instructional coaching is like an arranged marriage. Here's your, your coach in the building. You may not understand what your role is, but you know you're supposed to do something. The school folks don't understand what your role is. So here, tag your it. Here are 10 teachers, work with them. And there's nothing else there. And so coaches need to navigate that. So that's one thing besides being a listener, because when you navigate that, you need to be able to listen. What are the needs? And a lot of times the needs are not verbal. They're not expressed. So coaches need to be insightful and intuitive and no ego because it's not who's right and who's wrong. Coach, instructional coaching is truly a team sport. Everybody is in it to win. And when we say, what does that mean? It means the students are the beneficiaries of a wonderful learning experience, which is cumulative from classroom to classroom to classroom. So coaches have to be a great listener. They have to be collaborative. They cannot have an ego. They have to understand what the needs are, spoken and unspoken. What does it mean? They also have to have a very good understanding of their own philosophies and biases. Because if I'm an instructional coach and I walk into a classroom and I've got my own ideas, what I think should be done, that prevents me from listening to what the teacher's assessment is of what's going on in the classroom. So on both ends, it's a coach learning how to be a coach and a coach learning how to help a teacher recognize the needs in the classroom and how you move those forward. And that takes some time. It's not overnight. And just because somebody is a coach, you know, you could be a terrific teacher and that does not mean you are a, a, an effective instructional coach. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. I wholeheartedly agree because I've known of some amazing classroom teachers that just didn't have success in the coaching role. And, you know, coaching is not just all about being knowledgeable about the content, um, but it's also based on your personality and your ability to interact with others. And like you said, possess those 
key traits. You know, you have to be a listener. You have to be trustworthy. I think that confidentiality piece is incredibly important. You most definitely have to be collaborative. Um, and yeah, you have to kind of open your mind to lots of different things because, you know, your way isn't always the best way. Um, and so I think, I definitely think those are key. So one of the questions I have, and I know you always offered great advice about this in our trainings and in our conferences, um, but this is, I think, a problem that not only um, new coaches struggle with, but how do coaches reach those resistant teachers? And I know it's always going to be, it's always going to be a thing We're not every teacher, no matter how effective or likable the coach is, not every teacher in the building is going to want to work with them. So what is your take on that topic? Well, you know, that, again, that's another loaded topic. Um, it, and uh, there, it, there's a continuum, right? So there could be teachers in, in the school, early adopters, I want what you have, and I'm going to do it. And that's it. And they really don't do it the way it should be done. But they're on board. And then you have those who want to sit back, you know, everybody likes change, you go first, let me see what it looks like. And then maybe I'll jump on board, or maybe I won't. Remember what I said a little bit earlier, instructional coaching is not a deficit model. You have to presume positive intentions. So most teachers who are resistant are resistant because they don't understand what instructional coaching means and how instructional coaching is a personalized approach to teachers. But it's an overall goal, which means we want to support the school-wide improvement. And here's one way to do that. So you've got those resistors who don't understand what the expectations are of instructional coaching. The first thing you have to do is you have to roll out what instructional coaching is, not the coach, what instructional coaching, what's, a, what's an effective instructional coaching model. So, you know, we have a book and our book is the instructional coaching in action, an integrated approach that transforms thinking, practice and schools. And that the book explains how you start in a school. So rolling out what instructional coaching is, is very important. Showing how that instructional coaching can support the school-wide improvement goals. And that you're not working as a coach, you're not working with a teacher because there's something wrong, there's something broken. And you wanna say to teachers, again, in a, in a first in a whole group and then smaller groups and then one-on-one, -on -one, you wanna say to them, you know, think about it. Every athlete, a, a, a successful professional athlete, performing arts, um, executive coaches, weight loss programs. Everybody has an instructional coach. They don't call it that, but there's a coach. And the coach is there to listen to what the needs are and to help the performance get better. The difference with us is that instructional coaching, while you roll it all out so that everybody is on the same page, and you talk about how it's to help students not change teacher practice, that's a byproduct. But it is to help students, you're helping teachers reach their potential at the same time. And so when you've got the resistors, you've got to break it down very, very carefully to the whole school. And then you don't walk in. Instructional coaching, you don't walk in the first day and knock on the door and say, here I am, I'm going to change everything about you. I mean, I did that in the beginning and had my head handed to me. And that's how I learned that resistors are resistant for a reason. 
They tend not to understand, hey, it's not broken. Why are you trying to fix me? And so it's breaking that. You presume the positive intentions. You break it down. You don't go in. Going in one-on-one -on -one becomes a very threatening thing because you're looking at my practice and you're going to make a comment. Remember, teachers are used to an administrator coming in and saying, here's what's wrong with your teaching. So unless you're enlightened, you think that when an instructional coach is going to come in. So having those expectations upfront, clear, and without a question to everyone really helps it. When they understand that this is a personalized approach and a shared learning environment, and really talking about problems of practice in a way to help kids get better at what they do by helping teachers get better at what they do. And coaches always have to have in their own heads, and they have to say this out loud, as well as being a mantra in their heads. What am I doing as a coach to help teachers change and improve their practice? And what am I doing as a coach to help teachers improve student engagement and outcomes? As a coach, you have to answer that so that when you work with teachers who are those resistors, you end up chiseling away some of those fears because it's not about the teacher and it's not about the coach. It's about helping students get better at what they do by helping teachers get better at what they do. Yeah, that's excellent advice, Ellen. And there's a couple of things that I've been jotting down notes as you're talking here, but there's a couple of things I wanted to expand on that you mentioned, you know, one of them being the importance of sharing your role, you know, reminding teachers across the district of what the role of a coach is, the types of support that you can provide, what our coaching model and philosophy is. And I have taken that advice that you gave me from the very beginning. And honestly, we do that every year here. So every year, even though we don't have a ton of staff turnover, you know, at the beginning of every year, we're just resharing what our role is and how we can support teachers. And we go to new teacher induction and we do some separate things with them as well. But number one, I think that is really critical because they have to understand why you're there um, so that maybe that resistance, like you said, chisels away. Um, another thing that I wanted to mention is I love, I love, because I say this all the time. I love if we think about this in the context of presuming positive intentions. We should always presume positive intentions. And we know sometimes the intentions are not positive and that's okay. But in the past couple of years, that phrase has really stuck with me. And it's something that in every situation, whether it's work related or even personal related, you know, I always keep in the back of my mind, maybe there's something else going on here. So I think that's key, especially when we're talking about trying to reach the, the resistors. Um, but the other thing I want to mention, and I don't know if you remember this session at one of the PIC conferences, but I certainly do. Um, I remember going to a session and I think the title of it was like the rule of 20, 60, 20. Um, and so for me, that session was all about, listen, we're going to have those resistors, right? And while we definitely want to reach them, we can't bang our heads into a wall trying to reach them. We can't exert all of our energy there. And they talked about this rule of 20-60-20 being that in any organization, educational, business, whatever, 20% of your employees are going to be at the top, right? They Not that they don't need a coach, but they will do just fine without a coach. They are going to be your go-getters. They're going to do whatever's asked of them, and they're going to succeed no matter what. Then you've got 60% of your organization that could kind of go either way. So they can either be influenced by that top 20 
or they could be influenced by, unfortunately, that bottom 20. And that bottom 20% are kind of going to be your resistors, right? They're going to be resistant to change. In our case, they're going to be resistant to coaching. And so I remember the presenter of that session really saying, if you're going to focus your energy anywhere, focus on that 60% because you want to make sure that they're influenced on the positive end. So I think that's really important to remember as we talk about this idea of reaching resistant teachers and coaching because yes, we want to reach them and yes, they need to shift too, but that can't be where we spend all of our energy. So I just wanted to mention that before I forgot. I, I agree. I want to say, because that's a really important part when you think about it, you know, you want to work with the willing. That's how you start. You work with the willing, you get an emissary of goodwill with you. And that's one of the things that I say when you are, you can be a new coach in a new school. You can be a new coach in a school that's had coaching before, or you could be a veteran coach in, in either one of those situations. You work with the willing and get an emissary of goodwill. So if once every couple of weeks, you provide a mini professional learning session, you want to try to partner with one of the teachers that you have a good relationship with and who's well-respected by the staff. And then that person becomes your partner in sharing this learning. And then what happens is it's the snowball effect, you know, ultimately rubs off on people and they say, oh, well, this person is working with the coach and this person is well-respected and a solid citizen, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to listen to the coach, what the coach has to say. And so you develop that. You also have to think about it in terms of, and you may remember me saying, when you differentiate your support to teachers, you're going to differentiate it in three ways. It's a it's an adaptation, if you will, of the 20-60-20. And that is, as an instructional coach, I look at my teachers. I have to decide. I'm not evaluating because coaching is not evaluative and you don't get into that role. And there are ways to prevent that. But I have to assess what the needs are. So I look at my teachers. Some will need intensive support. Maybe it's a new teacher. Maybe it's not a new teacher. But that teacher needs intensive support across the board. And that's one thing I have to think about. What are the ways that I can help that teacher move practice? Then you have something called strategic support. Here are teachers who are solid citizens. They want to review their, their unit plans with me. Great. I will help them in that way by being a good listener. If they want me to work with them in the classroom, I can do that. But they're strategic. It's specific. I have a new concept that I want to teach. I'm not quite sure how this is going to go. I'm trying something new. Will you work with me as I try to do that? That's fine. But then you're talking about those who are independent. And those are folks, and you mentioned it, may or may not need, need any support. If they don't, that's great. They're there. You still develop a relationship with them. They become your partners. They do some joint learning. Maybe they can take a newer teacher under their wing, whatever it is. But you know that they don't need the kind of support as someone who you've assessed as being an intensive, needing intensive support. All of those things that you do are without the administrator. They are your, that's you as a coach deciding I need to figure out what I need to do to help this teacher move in this particular way. You may remember our levels of intensity that we have, and they're also in the book. Those levels of intensity are, are critical for support because not every teacher needs the same support for everything that teacher does. 
And a coach who is effective understands that and says, okay, let me hear, let me see, let me work with what this teacher needs so I can help that teacher grow. And in turn, that teacher will help his or her students as well. Yeah, I think it's really important to remember that, you know, first of all, of course, as you can, as listeners can see, if you're not a coach or if you don't have coaching within your organization, I mean, coaches have a lot on their plates, just like any other educator, of course. I'm not saying the job's more difficult than any other role, but there's a lot of different hats that we wear, a lot of different levels of support that we provide, a lot of different things that we need to consider in our interactions with teachers. And, you know, for me, like I said in the very beginning, I think that coaches really have the potential to make the greatest impact positively in regard to professional learning within their organization. Um, if they're well-trained, if they're supported, if they, I hate, I hate the phrase rollout, but if coaching is rolled out the correct way, all of those pieces have to be considered um, if we really want to see a positive change. So Ellen, I, we have about 10 minutes left, give or take, in our conversation. Um, so before we get to the last three questions that I always ask guests at the end of every interview, I want to ask you this question. And I know this is, again, probably a loaded question because there's no shortage of answers. But seeing that coaches really have a very unique and important role in guiding the professional learning within a district, what have you found over your years working with other coaches and being a coach yourself, what have you found to be some of the most effective methods for impacting professional learning in a district? So like, is there a particular strategy or type of session that teachers or that coaches would implement? Um, so hopefully you understand that question. I'm just, I'm just thinking overall the most effective ways that you think coaches could have the greatest impact on professional learning? You're right. That is a loaded question because it's, you know, instructional coaching not only is messy, but it's situational, right? It's contextual. So what's, what's the plan? What is the professional learning plan? Now we all say about professional development, but professional development is just the stuff I can give a hundred strategies. I could have a session, call teachers together, give out 50 strategies and say, here, here are your strategies, go ahead and use them. And I never bother to go back and work with the teachers. How did you implement that? Because nothing I give you should be used the way it is. Everything should be, how do I make it personal for my students? So when I do professional learning, that's the transition. So the professional development is the stuff. And then when you translate it or and, and move it forward so it becomes a learning experience, it's the coach working once that has happened. And so that's one way to make professional learning very effective, to build in the time. I will give you stuff, but I am going to give you time to think about what you're doing, process what you're doing, and then I'm going to work with you, A, maybe I have to help you design it in your classroom, or maybe you're already going to do it and you want to come back to me and say, this is what I do I've done. Now, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit because to answer that question, I want to talk for a minute about what makes a model effective because that has an impact on what professional learning looks like in your school. So you know that we always talk about before, during, and after, always, because you have to plan before 
And then once you plan with the teacher, you know, there's really a before the before, because as a coach, I have to, in my own head, figure this out. But you want to plan with the teacher. What is it that you, what are the goals? How, how do we do what we want to do? What is it that we want? You want to do that. And then you want to see it in practice. And then you want to debrief about it afterwards, because that's where the learning takes place. So when you do effective professional development, and you want to move it into professional learning, you want to put those components in it. You want to show what a before is by modeling because instructional coaching is modeling. Let me model, let me show you, let's talk about it. And then let's talk about it again to see what's, what should I change, if anything? How do I make it better? Because you always have that question. So that's the first thing to think about. The other thing to think about is when you do the four quadrants and you've heard me say it, and I know you've said it, when you talk about one-on-one -on -one and small group learning, when you talk about data-informed instructional practices, when you talk about high leverage instructional practices, when you talk about reflective and, and non-evaluative practice, all of those pieces have to be in effective professional learning in order to be effective. It's how I use each of those components in professional learning because I have to model what I'm trying to explain to do. So I am one of these that the 50 strategies that I hand out to me are almost useless. I can go on Google, I can go anywhere and get them. But if I don't talk to someone about how to use them, either I'm talking about it one-on-one -on -one or I'm talking about it in a small group, I'm looking at that strategy. Is it data-driven? Am I trying to do something like that? Am I talking about hmm, high leverage practices? What do I want kids to know and be able to do when they walk out of my classroom? And again, how am I going to help kids think about their own learning? What is that metacognition there? But what do I have to do as a teacher? So when you talk about a professional learning session, you talk about all of those things together that make it effective. And that's, you know, again, you can, it's a hundred things that you can talk about. Well, and I was, when I asked that question, I pretty much already knew what you, I was hoping your response <laughs> was going to talk about one-on-one -on -one coaching and the BDA cycle, because that wasn't something that I mentioned before. And it's not actually something I've mentioned on the podcast, but I think that before, during, after cycle of instructional coaching is critical. And I think that's really how you take, like you said, here's some information. Now, how are we going to implement it? And how are we going to reflect on it? So Ellen, thank you for all of your expertise in coaching. And I would absolutely love to have you on again, because there's lots of different coaching topics that we could talk about. Um, but we're going to wrap up here in our last five minutes. And this is meant to be a speed round. So just answer quickly okay. whatever comes to mind. So I'm sorry to put you okay. on the spot here, but it's I have three okay. questions for you. And they're okay. the same three questions that I ask every guest at the end of every interview. So my okay. first question is, briefly describe your worst professional learning experience and what made it so terrible. I mean, are you asking me as a participant of professional learning or yeah. as a facilitator? Okay. As, as a participant. Yeah. As a participant, uh, my worst experience was being in a room with, I don't know, 50 other people and having somebody stand in front and just talk at everybody in there and face the black, it was on a blackboard because that goes back, on a blackboard <laughs> or on a whiteboard and never once making eye contact and never once giving any time to anybody there. And I kept raising my hand and saying, excuse me, excuse me. And I kept just a minute, excuse, but I don't know, just a minute, I'll get to you later. And I, they never actually 
gave me anything other than frustration as I walked out and yeah. I walked out and I got bells and whistles of every kind of material that they had to give me. And I put it in my drawer and there it stayed in my desk drawer for 15 years. Yeah. I used to use it as a doorstop, but the, but the <laughs> worst one was being talked at and never stopping to ask me any questions or any of us. Well, and that's a very common sentiment shared by other guests that I've had. Certainly that sage on the stage, not entertaining any sort of interaction or question. So that definitely makes sense. Um, if you could briefly describe here in our last three minutes, your best professional learning experience. My best was someone who less is more. She stood in the front and she said, we're going to talk about three things. And then I'm going to give you time to mull it over and ask me questions. She put three things on her, on a slide and said, now, here are, count it off, here are the numbers, you go talk to each other, then I will reconvene, and we will talk about what you talked about, that was the best, because that gave me time to yeah. ask questions, to talk to each other in network, and really understand what the important parts of her presentation was. Yeah, less, less is more, always, always, um, and finally here, Ellen, um, one piece of advice, what piece of advice would you provide to anyone in charge of planning or facilitating professional learning? Um, that's a good question. What would I give that? So I, I think I would say to them, if you are planning professional, first of all, you should know the difference between professional development and professional learning. That's the first thing. Second of all, you need to talk about what is the goal of this professional learning and how much time is it that I'm um, allotting for this or I have been allotted. So time is critical. And when you have teachers who only have a prep period to give, you gotta be respectful of their time. So that was the first thing. As a coach, my advice is be, be honest, be trustworthy and transparent, understand your role, share it with others and be confidential because no matter what, that will make you or break you. You've got to be a good communicator, but it has to be an effective communication. I couldn't agree more with that sage advice, um, Ellen. So Ellen, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Um, listeners, I really hope that you consider checking out TPIC and learning more about this amazing organization. It truly is a goldmine for instructional coaches and for school districts and organizations who need instructional coaching. So Ellen, thanks again. I hope you enjoy you. the rest of your summer and your time in Italy. Oh, thank you. I plan to do that. You don't often get 50th wedding anniversaries in Italy. So thank you so much, Jackie. It's been a pleasure and fun. All right. Bye, Ellen. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, friends, that music means we've entered the takeaway time portion of this podcast. What resonated with you about my conversation with Ellen? How does her philosophy on coaching align with yours? Post your thoughts about this episode on Twitter using the hashtag PLPlaybookPodcast. Okay, so that's all for today. I've put a link in the show notes that you can explore to find out more information about TPIC. Also, don't forget to share this episode with any colleagues you feel might be interested. Until next time, Edge of Friends. <laughs>